and Nina and different ones who are here this morning have had a fantastic time in Israel. And so I really do want to talk about some of those things because it's just stirred me. We had a, we had a wonderful trip. And, and to be honest, if you can come, we'll be going again in two years' time. If you can come, please even right now start to think, how can we get there? Start to consider saving and doing those things because it's a wonderful, wonderful life changing experience to go to Israel. You learn so much. And there's so much that you can see that just by reading the Word, you don't see, right? The Word, because you're not there. So for instance, let me give you a thing. And I've got to be careful because to be honest, I could just stay here for two hours and just tell you this this happened in Israel and this happened in Israel and this happened in Israel. So I I don't want to do that, but I will tell you just this one thing, right? So don't. Where Jesus establishes the church is a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's right up the top. It's on the border of Syria. And just over that mountain range is is Damascus. So we see just by being there that really like the same place where Peter gets a revelation, thou art the Christ, the ever living son of God. He gets the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah. And we see that probably five, seven years later, there's another man on the road in a very similar place. There's Paul, the, uh, who is Saul at that time. He's going to Damascus. He's actually there near Damascus, the Bible tells us. And right there, as he's coming to Damascus, what happens? He has a revelation of Jesus Christ. He sees who Jesus is and his life is forever changed. And because I was there, I was actually able to see how geographically close that was. It's amazing that God is in the business of giving people a revelation. Now, it's not the place, but it just hit me how close these things are. You know, we're looking and literally over the hill that we were. So you saw me do the message uh, from uh, the gates of hell, right? That's where that is, at Caesarea Philippi. Literally just over that mountain where the gates of hell, that cave is, right, is just literally over that mountain range. If you went to the top of that, you could see Damascus. That's how close it was. That's how close these things are. But I'm not going to bore you with Israel's stories, but I probably will. You won't be bored, though. This year in my Bible reading, I felt to just read the Gospels. So I'm just going to, in my own reading, I'm just going to read the Gospels all year. I'm just going to stick to the Gospels, read them over and over and over again in just my own devotional Bible reading. And so in my preaching, I kind of want to do the same. But I'm not going to say I will do that just in case one day I don't do that. All right, I'm going to put my paint myself into a corner but I really want us to look at Jesus. I want to look at Jesus' ministry. I want to look at the, his life and, and what it meant and what he did. So today we're going to have a look at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And hopefully we're going to see some truths out of that. And hopefully a very important truth that I believe we should all have in our heart when we consider Jesus and the kingdom. So let's pray. Father. I ask that you would help me today be your messenger, O God. 
Father, let it be that people hear something that you have to say, not what I have to say, oh God. Use these words. Use me as the vessel to speak to people. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at a fair bit of Scripture today. I'm sure you don't mind, but I just want to kind of like look at these things. Right, so Luke 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So let me set the scene. Jesus is right at the beginning of his ministry. He's about 30 years old. He's just been baptized in response to what? God wanted him to do. He goes, because it's the right thing to do, I'm going to get baptized. You know, baptism isn't something that we should wait to hear from God about. Right? It's not something, well, does God want me to be baptized? I'm just waiting until I hear what God's saying to me. No, God wants you to be baptized. It's the right thing to do. It's one of the steps and the walks of Christianity. Now, you don't have to be baptized to get into heaven but God does want you to be baptized. Jesus himself said, because it's the right thing to do, I'm going to get baptized. And that is baptism. What happens at many baptisms, the Spirit of God comes down, a voice comes. The Spirit of God will touch you. You'll hear something of the Lord. You'll sense the good pleasure of God. To be baptized is a good thing. And tonight, if you want to get baptized, just turn up and make sure you bring a change of clothes, all right? So otherwise it'll be a pretty uncomfortable drive home, all right? So, and it will be Nina when we baptised in, uh, in, in Israel last time. She was just saying how cold the water was, right? And she's still telling me how cold the water was. It was beautiful. I loved it, right? So um, it was excellent. So he's about 30 years old. He's just been baptised, and from baptism... The Spirit of God leads him into the desert, to the Judean wilderness. It's a desolate place. Let me tell you, there's nothing there. You see nothing green. It's just rocks and boulders and massive hills. It's, it's, it's just amazing and horrible all at once. And he fasts for 40 days. And then at the end of 40 days, he's tempted. And he overcomes the enemy by the Word of God. And that's where this scripture comes. So right now, we're there. He's fully empowered by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit has fallen upon him. He's overcome the enemy. And now he's ready to go and do his ministry. So he goes back to his hometown, Nazareth, where he starts is the Judean wilderness and the Galilee, where Nazareth, his hometown is, is quite some distance. Right now, it's about a two-hour bus ride, but in Jesus' time, there were no buses, right? So he had to walk all that way. So I want to show you how it is. I'm going to have a map, and I really just want to use my laser pointer. It's a beauty, isn't it? Look at that. Whoa! Right? So uh, here we go. So we got my map here, right? So the Judean wilderness is here, right? Can you see that? Good laser pointer, is that? If you're, it, this is wilderness of Judea, right? So he's here. The Qumran, that's where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, but I'm not being a guide today, all right? So he's got to travel all the way up to here, which is Nazareth. There's the Sea of Galilee, amazing place, 
right? When I see all these names, I just want to tell you a story about all of them, but I won't be doing that, all right? So, so he's got to travel from here. So he's going to Jericho, Ephraim. He's going here, Salem, Anon, Sinai, all these names, right? So he's going out here and he's ending up in here, Nazareth. So it's a long way. He's where he's going. That's where he's walking along. So he takes some time to get back home. And on the way, the Bible tells us, as we just read, that he teaches in the synagogues and he starts, because he's empowered the Holy Spirit, doing marvelous works. A report goes about him. People start talking about what Jesus is doing. So back then, there's no internet, there's no TV, there's no radio. Things got out by the word of mouth. Jesus was a topic of conversation in the marketplace, in the gates of the city. They'd be talking about Jesus. And they'd be saying things like, have you heard about this Jesus? You know, a friend of mine the other day, he was in a synagogue in Jericho and he saw Jesus heal someone. See, this is how it would get out. It wasn't like some big news. It wasn't some big herald. No, it got out. And as the Bible says here, a report of him goes out. Right, when Jesus, you know, I heard that when Jesus was in Anon, he cast a demon out of someone. It, the screaming scared me. Right, it was just it was really thinking. And you know, like, at Ephraim, you should have heard what the Pharisees were saying about him. Right, that's what was going on. There was like a gossip of the good news. They started talking about what Jesus was doing. So when you hear a report of him went about, that's what was going on in the marketplace, at dinner time, in the gates of the city, when the kind of elders got together, when people got together, they started talking about Jesus. So Jesus must have been an awesome preacher. We can think of someone like Charles Spurgeon, who they call the Prince of Preachers. We can think about someone like T.D. Jakes, who I sometimes I listen to him preach, I go, why would I even try and preach? What is the point, right? What is the point? Like, this guy's just so good at what he does. But when Jesus was preaching, oh, something was happening. He had great content. He had the Spirit of God empowering him. He obviously had uh, an ability to, to communicate. So when Jesus started preaching, people started talking. When Jesus started preaching, people started gathering. Crowds started to form. There was something. Thing happening in when Jesus started to preach. That's why one of the Gospels, that's why all the Gospels are so amazing. Because all the Gospels are, are telling stories of what happened when Jesus was around. Right? That's, that's what they are. When Jesus was doing something, when Jesus was speaking, when Jesus was ministering, something happened so much that someone had to write about it. John goes as far to say that all the books of the world wouldn't be able to contain all the stories of what it was that Jesus has said and what Jesus did, right? Jesus was an amazing preacher. So that's why I'm excited when I read the Gospels. That's why I want to read the Gospels because I want to see what was it about this man that was so exciting that just him speaking in synagogues started to become the report of the town. You know, I hope this message is good, but I'm pretty confident that today's preaching isn't going to become the talk of Brisbane. I mean, maybe if I said something right, but you know, like, uh, you know, but it won't for, for, for normal reasons, right? <laughs> so have I set the scene? 
All right. So he comes to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As was his custom. Just thought I'd underline that because it's a good custom to have me in church. He went to the synagogue on Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. So Jesus comes to Nazareth. It's been pretty full on. He's been baptised. His ministry has started. He's gone to the wilderness. He's had temptation. He's had a long walk preaching everywhere. And he wants to go home, have a little bit of a break, have a little rest. But he had a good custom. He went to church. And he decides it's a Sabbath. I'm going to go to church. It's my custom. It's my habit to be in church. You know, every pastor, that's their favourite verse in the whole Bible, right? So Jesus gets up at a synagogue and he reads from the scroll. So I was in a, a recreation of a synagogue. I won't need this again. But I'll show you the picture. Oh, there I am. So there I am. So that literally, this is one of, in Israel, it takes forever to build anything. Because what happens is a developer goes to build something, he has to dig foundations. The moment he digs foundations, he finds something, right? So it took them 17 years, I think, to do a five-kilometer light rail because they kept on finding things in Jerusalem, right? So th this is a recreation of a synagogue which was found in Capernaum, which could be the synagogue that Jesus actually preaches this message in. So this is a recreation exactly as it looked. So a guy was wanting to build a hotel, thinks what a great idea, it's near the Sea of Galilee, we'll be building a lovely hotel. And so what happens, he starts digging and they find this synagogue. Now this is a recreation and so I thought I'm going to get a scroll and make out I'm Jesus and wouldn't that disappoint you if Jesus looked like that? All right, so, so he gets the scroll, he run rolls it, he finds the place. So it's not something that's just happenstance. It's not just something that kind of, well, let's see where we are, I'll make something good happen. No, he finds the place and then he reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So this is what he's been doing. This is what the reports are about him. He's proclaimed the good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the covering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So basically he reads a portion of Isaiah 61. Now, to be honest, I've preached on this declaration a number of times and that's, what my, that's not my assignment this morning, but I will summarise it. Let's summarise that whole prophecy of what he's just read like this. Jesus brings hope and reflects the heart of his Father in loving, comforting and helping his people. He begins his ministry with a powerful declaration of who he is and what he's come to do. So can you, can you live with that kind of summary of what he's done in Isaiah 61? Because it's what happens next that I want to focus on and it's what happens next that I've never actually seen before 
And that's why it's good to keep on reading the same passages again and again. Because when you read something the next time, or the 20th time, or the 110th time, you can still see something out of the Word of God. That's one of the great things of the Word of God. It's like digging for gold. The more that you dig, the more that you shake, the more that you do, you will find gold. And I promise you, I'll be reading that same passage again in uh, five, ten years' time, and I'll find some other gold because it's a gift that never stops giving. The Word of God's amazing. So I want to focus on what happens next because he doesn't actually finish reading. He actually stops midway. So let's read. And he rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down. All the eyes and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. They realised this isn't finished yet. They didn't look to the attendant. Let's move on to the next part. They're fixed on him. They, they, this can't be what it's about. There has to be more. I've heard these reports of of him. There has to be more. So their eyes are fixed on him. So he sees that and then he says words that shock them. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus, without any caveats, without any disputes, without any mystery, without hidden codes or anything like that, Jesus plainly tells them, I'm the Messiah. That's a big deal in in that time. This is a whole people whose whole existence is to look for the coming Messiah. And here's this man reads this portion of Scripture that they know to be about the coming Messiah And then says, this happened today. I'm him. I'm the Messiah. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus was very clear about who he was and what he came to do. Don't don't think that Jesus kind of like hidden in the dark and, and there's a kind of secret code to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is always clear in who he is. And if you have a seeking heart, God makes himself very apparent. It's not a secret. It's not a code. It's not a mystery who Jesus is. He wants to show himself to you. All you have to do is want to know. All you have to do is want to see and Jesus will show you. And I don't care whether you've been a Christian for 105 years. If you have a seeking heart for Jesus, Jesus will show himself to you. Always happens, always will. Everyone in the room knew what he was doing, knew exactly what he meant. And when he says this has been fulfilled, They're shocked. So this is what they said. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words. I love that. They understood that there was grace that Jesus was speaking. They understood there was a graciousness to it. God who they were scared of is now God who's willing to help. Come down, help them. 
They understand the graciousness of what it is that he's saying. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Now, this sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds like this is going well. The people are amazed. See, these people aren't strangers. These people have known Jesus all their lives and they speak well of him. The Greek wording, the Greek kind of rendering of that word marveled is, is essentially that they bore witness, and which means that they understood that what they heard was divine. It was of God. This wasn't just something, wow, I get that. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. No, they have an understanding. It's the word bore witness. It, they realize this is God. This is not the, just a, a good sermon. This is not just a, a great statement. This isn't just some wise thing to follow. This is actually God speaking. They, they know that. They marveled. And until then, until that moment, it was a really good day to be in church. But things are about to change. There's about to become a dramatic shift in the atmosphere. And we realize something about Jesus just amazing. And you see it again and again and again in the Gospels. Instead of taking the accolades, instead of going, ha yeah, I am pretty cool. Yep, I am the Messiah. Look at me. Thank you for realizing it. Thank you. Look at me. That's great. Just give me a little clap. Thank you. Tell me how good I am. Right, I need you to know how good I am. Please accolade me. Give me all my accolades. Instead of doing that, Jesus turns everything around. He doesn't read the room at all, right? This is his opportunity to kind of get people to say how good he is. And instead, he just turns it around. And it makes it really hard for himself because it doesn't go well for Jesus after this. And he said to them, doubtless, you will quote to me the proverb, physician, heal thyself. Now, to be honest, if I'm sitting in that room, that's all just happened to me. It's not my first thoughts that are coming to me, but... I'm not Jesus. Physician, heal ourselves. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Jesus, instead of receiving the praise of man, discerns the heart of man. These people are not really interested in his mission. They're not really interested in why God wanted him to come to earth. They're not interested in his real reason for coming to earth. They weren't interested in the fact that he was the promised Messiah. He discerns that they're interested in only wanting to get their own needs met. So though they said nice things, though they realized who he was, they didn't think of it in kingdom terms. They only thought of it in personal terms about getting their wants and needs and desires met. So now from the other Gospels, we can see some of the things that our people were intimating or talking about or, or showing and to why Jesus responds as he does. So we can look at Mark 6. Now there's a bit of uh, controversy as to whether this is speaking of the same time or it's a different time. In my looking and reading, I believe it's a different time, but it doesn't really matter. But here we go. Mark 6, 1, he went away from there 
came to his hometowns and the disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many have heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. So I actually believe it's a different time because what I believe is that God gives a second chance. You know, they at first chance didn't realise, but it shows you what's in their heart. It shows you whether through selfish desire or selfish jealousy or selfish motivation, the people of Nazareth had a hard heart. And Jesus addresses the hard heart. And it's a hard heart that actually plagues the Jewish mindset to this day. And I want to speak about this for a moment and we'll get back to our story in a moment. See, being in Israel made me think of the Jews today, of the Israelites today, who are praying to the same Father in heaven that we are. Romans 11 says it like this. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So is that the crux of this message? This is what's actually happening at this time when Jesus announces his ministry. The hearts of Israel have been made hard. They've chosen to believe that salvation can only be achieved through works. Romans 9 shows us that they refuse to believe that salvation comes through faith. Now, the tricky word here is the word harden. Because it's like, God, you're a bit unfair. We think about it when God talks about God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And what makes that tricky is we go, well, how can God judge someone for doing something when he's made them like that? He's hardened their heart and now they do that, so how can they be judged? It's not their fault. God hardened their heart. And so it's something that scholars and, and uh, critics of the faith have for years and years argued about. It's been discussed. Seems unfair for God to judge someone when he's made them do it so that they won't listen. So let's have a look at that. The Hebrew word for harden is the word shazak, C-H-A-Z-A-Q, shazak. And at this, it's translated become strong, encourage and repair. One scholar defines the word as to be strong, grow strong, prevail over, have courage, harden, gird, repair, sustain. So what it's actually saying is that they have a wrong belief. They have a wrong heart attitude and God gives them over to their already wrong belief so they become even more resolved in their wrongdoing, wrong thinking, wrong behaviour. And for me, that makes sense. That makes it so much wonder. It's already there, but God gives them over to that 
thought to that form of behaviour. I like that. So one of the things that got me thinking about this is that on the plane from London to Israel, I sat next to a Jewish man who was going to Jewish school. And uh, he was, uh, and it's a very interesting sort of thing. So he was wearing all the different clothes. He, he, he was doing all the different things. And, and he was obviously an Orthodox Jew. And I was really happy to sit next to him because I'm just going to talk his ear off, right? And I did. And I asked him a thousand questions. And uh, I'm not sure he was so happy he talked to me like, at the end of it all. I did say to him, it must irk you guys that the most famous, you know, rabbi is Jesus and who's got the most followers of every other rabbi, right? So I didn't start there, all right? But um, it's just so competitive, aren't I? All right? And I asked him a lot of questions. I was actually shocked at how little this man knew of the Bible. So you've got to think of these guys... They're serious. From a young age, they've memorized all sorts of things. They're serious about it. This guy, what happens is in that society, the Orthodox Jews, the men never work. They give their whole lives to the study. They give their whole lives to praying those prayers that they pray every day. The women work, right? So the women bring in all the income. The husbands never work. They just... They're just studying all day, learning, memorizing, praying, doing all of these things. And then the kids, how the kids go, well, is that the older, older kids look after the younger kids. And what you notice if you're going around Jerusalem, many places, there's just, you know, 10-year-olds looking after five-year-olds and, and so on and so forth. And it's quite an amazing system. So these guys are just given their whole lives to study. And I was shocked at how little he actually knew. Because... Rabbis and the scholars and those orthodox people, they don't actually study the Torah, which is the Bible. They don't actually study the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. They spend all their time studying the Talmud. And the Talmud are 14 books written by rabbis, written by prominent people on their observations and interpretations of the Torah, of the Bible. And so they don't understand so much of the Bible. You know, I, I talked with him and he just said to me things. He goes, Christians have changed the Old Testament over 1,000 times. I go, that's very interesting, seeing that we all look at the Hebrew, right? Many times when I'm looking at a scripture, I go right back to the Hebrew. I said to him, I, I'm not sure that's correct. Right? I said, because to be honest, I don't know a Christian pastor who if they found out weren't reading the original text wouldn't immediately change. Right? Our heart is to actually get what it was that God is wanting to say. So he didn't understand that at all. He'd just been told that about. He told me that Jesus was a guy who didn't want to listen to the religious teaching, so he found some other person who, uh, who didn't like it and then found some other person and then they banded together and started a new religion. So that's what they thought about Jesus. Then I asked him about heaven and hell. And this is what he said to me. He goes, oh, how can I describe it? He goes, like a car wash. He goes, you go to hell for 11 months, 
It's like you're dirty, like a dirty car, and you start there and you go through this process until you come out the other side and you're clean and then you can go to heaven. And I go, that's marvellous. I said, I have not read that. Can you please show me where it says that? Because I would like to read that. And uh, I maybe didn't do it with the same sort of inflections I did there, right? And, and he told me, he goes, oh, I guess I, I don't know. That's what my rabbi told me. You see, basic things, because they're not looking to understand those things. Their hearts have been hardened. Because I, I, I thought, to, thought to myself, if you're studying so much the Word of God, if you're looking so much, you know, Jesus and Paul would always talk about who he was through the Old Testament Scriptures. How come they haven't found Jesus in their complete study of the, of the, of the Torah? And it's because they study the Talmud, the Talmud. But one day, let's encourage ourselves with this. One day, one of the things, if you read Romans 9, Paul says this. I think it's one of the most staggering scriptures in the Bible. He starts Romans 9. He goes, if I went to hell, but all my brothers and sisters of Israel went to heaven, I'd be prepared to do that. That's pretty full on, isn't it? Like, he would be prepared to go to hell, spend eternity in hell to see all of his brethren go to heaven. I just think it's an amazing attitude. I just think it's an amazing attitude. But they will come. Zechariah 12 verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Israel are going to come to the Lord. They're going to realise one day when the Gentiles are come in who it is that Jesus is and they too are going to sit at the supper table of God and be at that marriage supper of the Lamb. So, Right here, so going back to the story now, going back to Luke 4. Right here at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus addressed this and essentially prophesied this. He's actually talking about this at this moment. He came for a people who will not receive him and it will be those outside that will receive him. He's not just addressing his own personal family. He's not just addressing his own region and the area that he's in. He's actually addressing the whole Jewish Gentile issue that's about to come, that's about to happen. So let's go back to Luke and continue to read. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Sarabeth in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. See, Jesus explains a lot here. Remember, he's just said, I'm the Messiah. 
they're all getting uptight about different things. And he goes, you know, there's lots of widows in Israel. But he goes to a widow in Zarephath. There are lots of lepers in Israel. But he went to a Syrian called Naaman. See, it's very interesting. He's setting it up. He's saying, I came for all you people, but you are rejecting me. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to see the gospel come out to different people. That's why I love it when you see where the church was established in Caesarea Philippi, a place that no godly man should ever be, a place of debauchery, a place where where demonic things were happening. Right there, he said, I established my church. See, Jesus' heart is for those not so much who are outside, those who are wanting to come in. When the Holy Spirit falls, he falls on people in Caesarea Maritime, a Roman garrison, because the Holy Spirit is there so other people can know about Jesus. See, if you don't seek the Lord, then it's very hard to find. See, Israel right now is the same. They are not seeking God. They're sincere. They're devoted. They're extremely religious, but they're not seeking God. They're seeking God's approval. That's what religion is. Religion is seeking God's approval when you already have his approval. Through Jesus Christ, we are approved. And trying to get approved from God is religion. Seeking God is embracing who Jesus already is. God doesn't want people seeking his approval. He wants people who seek him. You know, religious people always get mad when you point out their issues. It's always that. And that's what happens. Jesus, right? Jesus, he, they, they just get mad. They just get mad. Listen to what they said. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath because they knew what he was saying. They were selfish. I, I, I want God for myself. I want God for us. I don't want him to go out there. I want him to be doing this. They get mad. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and they brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. When we were talking about this in Israel, Steve Viliamu said to me, he goes, Jesus would have been awesome for the Broncos. Right? Like, <laughs> he just passed through them, scored. All right? Sorry, what's my point? People get mad when you point out their religiousness. They don't like it. Jesus wants to be sought after for who he is, not for what he can do for you, not to get his approval but for who Jesus is. Jesus is enough. And if you just bring it back to the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ, you can't go wrong. 
Right? Romans, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 9 says to us, do not be deceived from the simpleness that's in Christ Jesus, lest you become like Eve who was deceived by an angel of light. Sometimes we can make it so complicated. If I do this, if I do that, if I, if I come here, if I, if I, it's not complicated. In your doing, seek Jesus. In your living, seek Jesus. In your existing, ask of Jesus. Jesus wants to be found. Jesus isn't hiding. Jesus isn't kind of behind a cloud. And if you say the right magic words, all of a sudden he's there. All you need to do is have a heart that says, I want more of Jesus. I want more of Jesus. So I want the band to come. And I want to give you some takeaways. First, what I want to do is I wanted to explain kind of like the Jewish Christian and, and what's going on now. Because when you're there, it's confronting seeing all those people and how uh, true they are, how, how kind of uh, devoted they are. So let me tell you some, some takeaways. Number one, don't harden your heart. Don't make a assumption but always have a seeking heart. Don't sit there and think that you know it all. You know, I've been a Christian now for 40 years and I just don't know it all. And to be honest, if I went to heaven and I found out I, actually everything that I believe was right and I'm perfect in all my doctrine, I'd actually be really disappointed. Th th does it make sense? Right? Because I'm just not that smart, Right? It's Jesus. I, I want to learn about Jesus. I want to ask questions. One of the reasons, I mean, it's not like I haven't read the Gospels before. I read the Gospels a hundred times, but I want to read them now again. And then when I'm done, I'm going to read them again. And I'm going to read them again because I want, what is it you're wanting to show me, Jesus? What a great way to read the Word of God. What are you showing me, Jesus? What are you showing me, Jesus? What are you showing me, Jesus? Be a, number two, be a seeker of God, not a seeker of things from Him. So it's really just the same, a different version, different way of saying what I just said. Understand, number three, that the gospel isn't just for the house, but it's for those outside the house. And this is my last thought, and this is what I want us to pray about. So he doesn't go to the people in Israel to bring healing or to bring the restoration of the drought. He goes to a widow of Zarephath. But he doesn't go to a leper in Israel. He goes to Naaman from Syria. When was the last time that you prayed for someone for a miracle who is yet to find faith, who's on the outside? When are you praying for the widow from Zarephath or from the Name in the Syrian. Have you got enough courage and boldness to actually believe that? Maybe some of the miracles that we're praying for and believing for and asking God for won't actually happen in the house, but might happen outside of the house. 
It might be for your neighbour or it might be for your boss or it might be for a family member who has ridiculed your faith. Isn't this just Jesus? What's this Jesus business? What's this Jesus business? What's this stuff? But a miracle can happen for them. Let's start to believe. Someone once told me every, almost every uh, miracle that happened in the book of Acts was for someone who wasn't a Christian, someone outside the house, right? Sometimes we make church so much about what's in the house and it's good, it's a good house. But what about having an attitude for those outside the house? Praying for people outside the house takes some courage, but we have a Holy Spirit who can deal with that, who can fill you with boldness so you can actually say, I'll pray for that. You know, to be honest, no one's going to say no. Very few people, if you say, I'll pray for them, they may get a bit uptight if in the middle of the office you start putting a hand on the head and just yelling in tongues. But if you can do that, all power to you, right? But what I'm saying is that, are we going to pray for those outside the house, believing for God for miracles outside the house? Why don't you stand? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that Emerged Church will always believe for miracles in the house, but we'll see people outside the house. Father, touch the Lord. Father, Lord, that we'll be a soft hearts, oh God, seeking you, Father, in the name of Jesus, oh God. Father, I ask, oh Lord, let us see miracles in our workplaces, in our families, in our streets, in our friendship groups, oh God. Father, Lord, let us have a boldness, oh God. A boldness, oh God. Father, let us never be selfish about what you've given us. Oh, Father, get it out, oh God. To get it out, oh God. Father, they may be widows, they may be Syrians. They may be people that we don't really want to have a lot to do with in a sense. But they're who you're calling us to. Father, I ask, let there be a grace on this house for salvation, for salvation. Father, we want to see people saved, saved from hell, saved from a Christless eternity, oh God. Father, we just pray in the name of Jesus. Do your work in us and use us. In Jesus' name. 